having. KNFL AM Fargo. Yeah, baby. <laughs> It's time now for the Jack Michael Show on 740 The Fan and 740TheFan.com. To phone in, call 237-3767, 1-888-458-6926, or you can text short code to 35270. Good afternoon, high noon on this Tuesday. A couple of warm days in store, uh, just like today and uh, tomorrow, and then things will cool off for the weekend for uh, some high school football, college football, and uh, such. There's not a lot of college games. you got the paint bucket game Thursday, and then things will really get going uh, next week. Jack Michaels show. We'll hope, I don't know if we'll hear from Jack or not. They had the uh, overnight trip from Kansas City to Gary. Red Hawks losing last night, and they will take on the Gary South Shore Railcats. Three-game series starts tonight here on The Fan. Uh, pre-game at uh, 625 for uh, that matchup. Uh, Brad Anderson and uh, Derek Hansen in uh, studio here in the Gunderson Jewelers studio. Busy show today. We'll talk some Twins baseball. Twins with a uh, quick two-game series in Milwaukee against the uh, the Brewers. A couple of division leaders there as the uh, Twins. Right now, I mean, I don't know if you feel comfortable with this team, but a six-game lead in this division that, you know, if you don't go 12-24 and 24 or something down the stretch... <laughs> You're gonna be you're gonna be playing some meaningful baseball in October. You certainly would think so, right? I mean, it would be a, a collapse of all collapses if they don't win the American League Central, and uh, it'd be something we talk about for years. I think the 1984 collapse is what the one that I think most longtime Twins fans think about, right? Where they just fell apart in September, and you know, it was just three years before they actually won it all. But that team, you know that that kind of class, that class of '82 that everyone talked about, that was a tough one, and. It a bad series against at home against the Angels or something like that. It was something weird like that. Um, I'm trying. I can't to... remember who they played, but regardless, I mean they they just fell apart. There was the famous game in Cleveland where they had a ten nothing lead yes. and lost eleven to ten. And that's something you know. If you talk to some of the old guys, the that that group, you know, the Bernanski, the Gaetti's, the Herbecks, all came up together. That still eats at them, even after they won the World mm-hmm. Series. It, it ate them because they felt they had their kind of we've arrived moment then and then that fell apart in September. And that would be very equivalent here, right? Where the the Cleveland Guardians have handed you the the division on a platter. And if you don't take it from them and the uh, Tigers right now, it's going to be an embarrassment of all embarrassments, I think. Yep. Up there with the Mets Cubs situation way back in the sixties. Yep, whatever. that's uh that's that's a good one there. The uh yeah they're done with the Tigers and you got the six with Cleveland coming up this next couple of weeks and we'll talk oh, a little huge. bit about this with uh, with Dick Bramer coming up. Roll of Outlaws will make their uh, the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars will make their uh, stop in the Dakotas this weekend. Duel in the uh, Dakotas Friday night at River City Speedway in Grand Forks and Saturday night at the Red River Valley Speedway in West Fargo. And uh, we've got some tickets to give away. We'll try and uh, squeeze in a chance to uh, to win a pair of tickets for the Saturday night show in West Fargo. Later on on the program, we'll open up the phone lines uh, probably maybe towards the end of the uh, program today and uh, your chance to win. Uh, though a short show tomorrow, we'll, uh, just an abbreviated show until 12.30 as the uh, Twins and the Brewers um, coming up on uh, the second game of that uh, uh, matinee and a short series in Milwaukee. It's really a shame. I did look at the schedule for next year. Um, the Twins and Brewers will play in Minneapolis right after the All-Star break. And it's a two-game series. They go Saturday, Sunday, but at least they got it on a weekend because that's a series that should be on a weekend yeah. just with just the people that commute back and forth for that series. Yeah, I've never understood the schedule maker, the rivalry game that is, the Brewers and the Twins, why they always want to plop it down. And They did the one year where they did two and two. Remember that? They've done that. Yeah, they've done that multiple times. <clears throat> I just right. I don't get that either. They did Monday, Tuesday in Minnesota, and then they did, I think, like a Wednesday, Thursday in Milwaukee. It's, it's a... That's a head scratcher. I don't know why they don't value these games more. You certainly think they would. It's, I'd, I'd much rather care about that than a three gamer against the Padres randomly in May, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, nothing at the Padres. It's star studded. I mean, maybe there's a different example I can use. But you, you know, I'm getting it. even the Giants where they are, where it's just like, yep. hey, there's a lot of history there, whatever. But the, the geographical thing of just heading down to 94-90 would certainly make a lot more sense, wouldn't it? Yes. Well, you would certainly think so. That uh, that would be – and that used to be for years was a – a lot of years was a weekend series. I remember going to a couple of those 
in the 2000s. Before, that was before Target Field, and if you wanted to go watch, well, quote-unquote, outdoor baseball, sometimes it was outdoors, sometimes it was right. not in Milwaukee, but it was a fun trip to go, and, and you'd see a lot of Twins fans, and it was uh, uh, but if it wasn't 40-60, it was about half and half a lot of those, uh, lot of those weekends, and um, yeah, we're kind of missing some of that as far as that goes. 237-3767-1-888-458-6926 are the phone numbers. You can text us as well to uh, 35270. Interesting story came out, and we'll credit Eric Peterson from the uh, forum on this. Uh, University of Jamestown, and I know there's been some talk. Uh, they're maybe about, what, five, six years removed from leaving their um, their cohorts, the Valley City States and Dickinson and uh, Mayville, and such, and went into the GPAC, and they have applied for membership into the NSIC. The NSIC is an odd number of teams right now, an odd number of schools. They have 15, and the Jimmies have, you know, there's been some talk that they've maybe thought about at least exploring the idea of moving up to Division Two. and it sounds like at least this is uh, this is step one of the process. You know, the NSIC, they were ahead of this super conference thing long before the FBS was, right? I mean, think about it. That, that what they, oh, it's been, what, 50, yeah. 15 years now. <laughs> yeah, maybe, exactly. So, so no, that would be an interesting addition. Obviously, I think that would be a nice thing for a lot of the schools in North Dakota that are already in the NSIC. I'm sure that uh, Mary and Minot would not be opposed to that whatsoever, right? Bus trips, more bus trips that mm-hmm. are staying within. So I think that would be a nice fit. Certainly makes the, you know sense to be a logical fit for what they want to do there. Uh, that. So I'm all in favor of that. I kind of wish they would do it where they go 8-8 eight and eight and not necessarily have to play each other. You know, get back to non-conference games. Can we get back the Powerball? You know, it's a, I know it's a pipe dream, but wouldn't you think that'd be a little bit more feasible? Because they beat up on each other so much throughout the year, Brad. Right. I just wonder if that wouldn't be a, a better solution for them to almost act like two different conferences during the regular season. Well, yeah, and that's I wonder that too. And if you would have eight and eight, where would you go west and east? If you would add Jamestown, for example, and I think some of the positives, as you mentioned, I think geographically they would as spread out as that conference is. I think you'd have a travel partner probably with Northern. You mm-hmm. could just kind of use Highway 281 there with Jamestown and Aberdeen, and then. Maybe the Dragons get a travel partner, I don't know, with Crookston or and who knows. It could be the Dragons and Crookston, and then you move a Midgey maybe with Duluth. And um, there's some options and some possibilities there. Uh, I think some sports they could compete just fine. I, you know, Obviously, the, the success they've had in women's volleyball and basketball. Football, they have struggled at that level. So, And the other thing is, too, and I was thinking about, and I don't have the answer to this, and if somebody does, they can text or call us. Um is scholarship wise. I mean, you're limited in Division Two, what you can have for scholarships, and I don't know what it's like for the NAI because that's you know that's one thing you have to look at. You're making the jump from NAI to NCAA. Jamestown offers a ton of sports already as an NAI school. Everything from they were one of the first around to have women's wrestling, and they have men's volleyball, and they have hockey. They have like a club, kind of the club hockey that's some like NDSU has, and some schools in North Dakota have like uh, Mary and, and, uh, and, and Minot and such, but how much would that be affected? Where would they compete? You know, I mean, I think there, there's, some, there's some questions there that you would have to look at. And, you know, enrollment-wise, it's a private school. You know, the enrollment, I think, is around 1,200, 1,300, something like that. Does that make a difference? I don't know if it does because there there's a mix of public right. and private on the northern side. Yeah, for sure. Mary itself, right? And so, I mean, there's a – just down the road there. Well, so. uh, USF and, uh, <clears throat> right. yeah, so there's a few of them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And – you know, I guess the thing that the, the whole Augustana thing is just weird, right? The, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the way that all is going down with them and what they're searching for. So, yeah, Sioux Falls obviously is kind of a – they made the move, right, and worked out pretty well for them. Right? You don't have to ask anything further than UND, what they <laughs> endure, like, uh-oh, here we go. Right. But, um, in football many years ago. And but, I don't know if that's what the, the blueprint that Jamestown's looking at. Obviously, yeah. you know, Sioux Falls has – you know, you got a little more of a, a population base to pick from, but I think, you know, with the success they've had, um, that it's worth pursuing. And I mean, I can remember going back to a few years ago, uh, talking to a couple of people I know that work at an NSIC school, and I could, even like in the 2000s thought Jamestown could make that move if they wanted. And, and mm-hmm. I don't think at the time, I don't think they did. The DAC was in pretty, pretty solid ground. You had a lot of schools, North and South Dakota, that, you know, it was a very solid conference. And, you know, they made the jump. I think about five, six years ago to go to the GPAC, which meant a lot of travel. You know, you're going into South Dakota and into Nebraska and into Iowa a little bit, but it didn't seem to matter. They've had some success in some sports. Football has not been one of them, but volleyball, basketball, 
baseball, they've done just fine. And, and you know, if, if, if facility-wise, if you've not been to Newman Arena, if you've not been to the football facility. Yeah, they stepped up. Yeah, I mean, There's no time. doubt about big it. Time. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And so that's a big thing, too, obviously, if you're trying to. And let's face it, you know, I, I guess – Maybe here in uh, you know Imperial Cass, as they like to call it, Western North Dakota. I know they get a few kids that go out to Jamestown, right here in this neck of the woods. And I don't think there's any doubt that Bismarck kids who maybe want to get away from home, or Minot kids that don't necessarily want to go to Minot State but don't want to be too far, that's a nice destination for them. It's, yeah, it's, it's in driving distance. You're not you don't have your parents all over you, but. Yet you're close enough to get home when you need a couple well, bucks or two. Well, I think so. you've seen some sports and, yeah. and you've seen some athletes in this town of Fargo Moorhead go out to U Mary. Uh, the right. basketball programs have had at U Mary. You know, they've had a few for football. And yeah, I would say that you know if you could do that, get a good education, you would get a good education out there. That uh, yeah, not too far from home. And and you know, like I said, I think travel wise it would fit. But uh, we'll see. And it, it's going to be a process. And. And who knows what the what the future of the conference? If there's anybody, you know, Augie's probably the one that, you know, are they do they still have Division One aspirations? I don't know right. if they do yet. I think the uh, the the move for hockey, I think maybe quelled the idea of trying to get Summit League membership because I don't think they would get. Obviously, I don't think they get much support from SDSU and USD. So I think the move to hockey has probably put that on the back burner here, at least for the uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, and I think that would be a good fit for him to do what Mankato's doing, right? I mean, you know, and Mankato got ahead of the game a long time ago, but I think that would be a, a smart move for them to be on that par because, you know, obviously college hockey is going to be interesting. If, you know, women's college hockey can keep going for the Title IX type of thing, that would be a, a nice thing for them. And to find their niche, much the way that we talked about, what, 17 years ago with MSUM when it was actually brought up, when you know the Shields Arena was being built, that maybe we could get Division One hockey there, and I think most of the athletic department said, you know, this could be our niche. This is th- what could separate us from everyone else here in the Fargo Moorhead area. No doubt, that's what they're thinking about in Sioux Falls. You know, the Stampede—they're pretty, you know, mm-hmm. pretty popular down there. It's going to be hard to replace what the uh, Jackrabbits and the Coyotes are doing as far as getting that fan base there that has a lot of alum obviously in Sioux Falls so that could have been their niche and you know that's something I'm sure that they're looking at more than trying to compete on the same level in the summit league or if they even made the move to I think they're looking at if they do a non-scholarship for football I do believe much like kind of like St. Thomas was looking at I do possibly believe. yeah I think that's probably where they would land for the time being is play pioneer league football until maybe you get your invite into the Missouri Valley or somewhere else perhaps um, that's if they went that route and from a football standpoint, would you be better off playing in the Northern Sun where you can at least offer, I think, what is it, 24 or 32 scholarships, right. something like that? Would you be better off doing that than try to go the go the non-scholarship route for football? Or academic assistance. Yes. <laughs> that might be yes. the tipping point there you go. to go that direction, too. Yeah, so. That's very possible, yes. Yeah. Ask any MIAC school. they got to figure that out pretty well. You know. They don't have scholarships. You, you it doesn't get, matter. You get good grades, you might. So, yep, yeah. yeah, you might. And that's what I think even, you know, some of the JUCO level as well is that they can't do, at least, like, I'll give science as an example. Like, for football, they can't do athletic scholarships, but they can do some academic stuff mm-hmm. and do it that way as well. 237 237-3767, 1-888-458-6926. You know, I've had two exhibition games with the Vikings here, Derek, and I watched a little bit on Saturday. We kind of talked a little bit about this yesterday. I still don't know what they have. And well, I'm, probably well, not, I'm probably not going to know until September 10th. It's interesting. I talked to David Moulton, who used to be on this time slot many moons ago, you know, over 20 years ago here, and it was a different frequency. It was a different name, all that. I get it. But uh, And he was up in the booth last night with Trikman, and he used to work in this market. He's the spotter researcher for him, and I had him on my show last night on KFGO, and we just talked about it a little bit. And he and he called me during the summer very vocal about getting rid of Delvin Cook, letting Patrick Peterson go, what have you. But I do think, as weird as it sounds, I think on the outside looking in, it looked like they were getting rid of veterans and kind of starting over. But I think for us who watch it, and I said this to him, who watch it day in and day out, Patrick Peterson, no doubt, can make plays, right? Whether or not he's still what he needs to be at his age. I, I, I enjoyed watching him play because he was fundamentally sound. And Dalvin Cook had some explosive plays. But down you know, down in and down out, he just didn't look the same. Am I wrong on that? I mean, I, I just, I, I for me, I, I just. There were moments. Yeah, he had moments. He had moments in the Buffalo Bills game and the mm-hmm. comeback against the Colts. Right. I mean, 
But as far as every day, that one through three yard, you know, one through a third down back, he just kind of didn't seem to have the same burst. And so they go with Andrew Booth Jr. They pick up this Byron Murphy, who looked really good, by the way, when I was down there, and I've had, heard rave reviews about him throughout most of training camp. And then you have, you know, Caleb Evans, right? I mean, you got a guy who's been, excuse me, he's been very, you know, fighting the concussion thing for the past uh, couple of years. When, you know, last year he showed flashes. So to say that their secondary group is young and that's what they're going to be relying on is an understatement. <laughs> I mean, yes. I think, and, and that's always a scary thing because you think about, well, 2016, they opened up the season. A rookie, Trey Waynes, was a starting quarter, and and he actually did okay. Got picked on a little bit in the first game against Aaron Rodgers, but got a big interception. Was all said and done to seal the game, the first game ever at U.S. Bank Stadium, regular season game. And I do think there's a little bit to, uh, you know, if you're going to be young at a position, maybe that's where you're at because you have to have a short memory and move on, and and you won't get your psyche done. But uh, it, I I think when it comes down to Harrison Smith being back there, seeing him play a little bit, that's going to be the big question mark is how these young corners do. Uh, will he and Cam Bynum be able to hold up the court for these young, uh, you know, I guess one-year guy and also a rookie that are going to be playing cornerback for you on one side? It's it's a little frightening to think that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Duke Shelley performed so well. I, that's why I thought they maybe bring him back, but mm-hmm. that didn't quite work out. Uh, how concerned – or should we be concerned about what's going on with TJ Hawkinson? Uh, I'm not really too concerned. I mean, if the thing is, is this a quiet quitting thing with the contractors, this his ear deal, you know, I saw him a little bit last Wednesday when I was down there and he was just yep. kind of hanging on the weight room. And so I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on here. I think yeah, a couple of young tight ends made some pretty nice catches last week too. Mm-hmm. So if that's, it's going to really bite at you if a second round pick doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the, young man from Iowa, they got to replace him for the Detroit Lions. That'll be something to watch closely. But I don't think there's any doubt that uh, he's going to be a big factor in what they want to do. I mean, that's when they picked him up, it seemed like that's when the offense started to pick up even more. And there's no doubt that Kirk Cousins liked to go to him a lot, and yep. much to the inks of number 19, who is now with the uh, playing in black and teal this year. Yeah, that's what I... You know, we, we, not knowing what we're going to get from Jordan Addison, there have been, you know, I think obviously there's a lot of potential there. Um, Kincaid, Jay Osborne step up. I think, yeah, the, the value of a tight end like that is uh, would be huge. You know, maybe the tight end they picked up from the Ravens, Oliver, is he, you know, is he going to be a guy that's... Uh, they want him to be Klein Saucer, right? Basically, so, yeah. yeah. I think kind of more so, but would they use him in that role? But, you know, it's a possibility. And, you know, they got to work around salary cap issues and, as well. Do they... You know, maybe put the franchise tag on Hawkinson for twenty four. Do they try to extend him now? I mean, that's um, like I said, there there's a lot of things about with Jefferson and with Cousins, but I would think uh, T.J. Hawkinson. That's got to be uh, deep in the minds of Viking fans as well. Yeah, no question. And that's a uh, you know, he kind of gives you what Rudolph did right with the red zone right in the, in mm-hmm. the third down and three. That's you know, you look at the history of Viking tight ends. You know, we talked to. Last week with Ted Brown when I was over down there with uh, uh, down with Tyler Axis last week at TCO Performance Center, and you think about Joe Sensor and Steve Jordan were on the you know kind of bled over for a while. Two of the greatest tight ends ever, and then right. I mean, you think about some of the great history of tight ends that they've had with Rudolph, you know, kind of number wise, right with those guys. It's uh, it you know I don't think there's any doubt they want this guy to be the target for Kirk Cousins, and it'll be interesting, you know, with the uncertainty of what. It's going to happen after this year with Cousins. How long of a deal does Hawkinson want to have? Because who knows who's throwing to him next year? I mean, that is that's going to be interesting thing thing for him if he does want an extension. Well, that's uh, and that's why I'm wondering if there's maybe how much urgency there is to try and ink him to try and get Jefferson. Obviously, there's, there's some urgency to try and get Jefferson to a long term deal if you possibly can. But uh, what's that going to cost you? And yeah, there's a lot of Rob Brzezinski's a uh, he's a True salary cap oh, yeah. uh, expert, but he's going to have to do a pretty good job to massage all this. So. Yeah, he's he's done a good job of mass- you know I don't know how he's done it over the years and they've signed someone. I thought they only had like fifty thousand dollars on the salary <laughs> cap, and then they all of a sudden get a guy. Yeah, and it's amazing. But uh, hopefully, he can work some magic with that too. All right, we'll take a timeout as uh, Dick Bramer will talk some Twins baseball with Dick Bramer. It's brought to you by Jefferson Lines. That's uh, coming up here later in the uh, program. Tony Veneciano from the World of Outlaws is the dual Dakotas coming to um, 
uh, Grand Forks and West Fargo this weekend and be listening for your chance to win some tickets for that Saturday night show at the Red River Valley Speedway later on in the program. Brad and Derek inside the Gunderson Jewelers studio, the Jack Michael Show on 740 The Fan. And at every Tuesday at this time, it's always fun to bring in the television voice of the Minnesota Twins, Dick Bramer, brought to you by Jefferson Lines, Derek Hanson, Brad Anderson, Jack Michaels with you. And Dick, not a bad way to finish off that series this past weekend against the Pirates. And boy, Dallas Keuchel, that was uh, that was fun to catch with him you know, going all the way. I thought very close to getting to a perfect game. He's very aware of it, but that was a fun Sunday of uh, baseball for sure. Boy, it sure was, and when Joe Ryan went out with his uh, groin injury after having some rough outings, I'm sure there was some in Twins territory worrying that, uh-oh, this is the beginning of the end. It's going to be another you know, collapse like it was last year. And instead, Keuchel's come up, made three starts, two of them really good, one of them terrible against a red-hot Phillies team. But who wouldn't have taken that in three starts in Ryan's absence? And now it looks like... Ryan's going to come back to the rotation, and the Twins are at least exploring the uh, option of having a six-man rotation. But uh, yeah, it was a wonderful outing, and I've been doing this for a while, excuse me for a while, and I've never had back-to-back games where a twin starting pitcher took a perfect game into the sixth inning, and then the next the very next day took one into the seventh inning. Amazing. And let me ask you this: Do they want to have that conversation with Kenta Maeda? I know he doesn't want to be in the bullpen but you know for the good of the team it might be the best spot I mean there's gonna be some tough decisions to be made here but I think they're in a position right now we are starting tonight uh, entering a stretch where there are 39 games in 40 days we had three off days in eight days incredibly and now just one for the next you know 40 days and so uh, it's the perfect time to at least entertain the notion of having a six-man rotation, meaning that all six would get an extra day. That probably isn't going to hurt anybody, uh, you know, long term. Keep them a little bit fresher for what the Twins hope would be a playoff run. And then once you get into the field, if they get in, well, then you do have some tough decisions to make. Hento Maeda, during his Dodgers career. Uh, both started and relieved in the playoffs, but he was much more effective as a relief pitcher. So that might be part of the decision that would have to be made. But you really don't need more than four, maybe even three starters once you get into the playoffs with the off days. Uh, but again, it's a nice problem to have because you've got arms out there that have proven to be able to get uh, big league hitters out. And so uh, we'll see how that all shakes out if the Twins can maintain this lead or have it increase here before the end of the season. If you had a, for a potential pitching staff, let's say for a, a three game series in the, in the first round, I think you'd have to go Lopez and then gray. And then who would you have for, for a potential number three? Well, there's no reason not to have Bailey Ober in there. You know, the very uh, tough stretch that Joe Ryan had Ober's not had that. He's had a couple of rough ones, uh, but that, any pitcher is going to have that. It will depend, uh, frankly, on how these guys pitch down the stretch and who's got the hot hand and who's, you know, and they have so many metrics to measure spin rate and velocity and, and all that. Whose arm looks the freshest to pitch their best uh, come October if the Twins get there? Uh, so I, I'm not sure. I know for a fact that no decisions have been made yet. It would be foolish to do so with the, uh, you know, what 36 games left, whatever, and a six-game lead. Uh, so uh, it's it's going to be important that the Twins do what they can to close out the deal here and win the division, but also individually, who looks the freshest down the stretch. Dick, uh, Jack here, and you know, back to back to Keuchel. <laughs> so he's had a. You know, a good start, then a then, you know, not-so-good suspect, and then, of course, what he did in his, his last start. Uh, two parts here. You know, how does he really look to you, and has he been a kind of a shot in the arm for the, the, the clubhouse, a proven guy, and and just, just Keichel in general, just the mood, the feeling, and, and how he looks to you and the impact he's making? Well, he certainly has been a shot in the arm, and, and for as long as I've been doing this, there's always seemingly been a Dallas Keuchel, a soft-tossing left-hander who finds a way to get people out, uh, and and he may be the only one now who's doing that. 
Uh, Wade Miley's a lefty, and he's pitching tonight, but he's got a better fastball than Dallas Keuchel does, at least in terms of velocity. But so now, you know, what you want in the playoffs, at least I think, is you want somebody who is on the mound who's a contrast to what uh, the hitters, whether it be Houston or Seattle or whomever, what they've seen all year long. Well, the fact of the matter is in the in the current game, there are literally hundreds of pitchers who can throw in the mid-90s who have a good breaking ball and all that. But the, how many Dallas Keuchels are there out there who can – spin the ball, turn it inside out, hit that corner, then that corner, and have significant, successful postseason experience as Keuchel has. He's a very intriguing guy moving forward, and if he has more starts like the one he had on Sunday, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the postseason rotation. And of course, on the other side of that too is uh, you know getting that bullpen solidified. You know, Duran's going to be on the back end. You know that it's good to have Thielbar back. Griffin Jacks, so hopefully he is more of a steady Eddie. And, you know, we have to give Pagan credit. He was pretty bad for the past, what, year and a half in high-leverage situations, but he's, knock on wood, pitched pretty well as of late. He's been gravitating toward the end of the game, which was his role last year. Uh, granted, he didn't uh, have a great deal of success uh, pitching in the late innings, but, you know, he's pitched well in the middle innings, and now we, with the need being there, Brock Stewart doesn't look like he's going to, come back this year he's had a, a setback or two along the way but you've got the griffin jacks who had a bad one but he's come back and now pitched pretty well um you know it's all in my mind it's all going to come down to the health not just among position players and we haven't even talked yet about the return of you know kirilov and buxton and, and all that uh but you know this this is an intriguing team to watch because they may be they're healthiest at the very end of the season going in. Yeah, they may get to a point, uh, Dick, and they're probably, I bet you could count on maybe one hand or two hands how many times they've had all the pieces in place in the lineup. I think of that stretch kind of right after the All-Star game where maybe they had it and Kirilov fit well, but they just, I mean, they're just something kind of incomplete with that lineup just because there's just been pieces missing here and there throughout the year. And now there's talk of Byron Buxton returning to the lineup as at least a part-time center fielder. Now, a lot has to go right for that to happen, but they're looking forward to the possibility of that happening, and that would be absolutely huge for the Twins because if they get to the playoffs and they can have Buxton not as their designated hitter, they would have a place to put Eddie Julian's bat. Now, Julian's improved his uh, play out at second base, but the best defensive alignment, for the Twins, I think clearly is having Polanco at second, Royce Lewis at third, Julian as the designated hitter. They want Byron's bat in the lineup, and if he can play some in center field, that is going to go a long, long way toward putting the best Twins team on the field this year. Tuesday Twins Talk with uh, Dick Member brought to you by Jefferson Lines, and we mentioned that this uh, short series with Milwaukee, Dick, and, you know, of the of the two teams – I guess, uh, you know, both leading their division. You know, Milwaukee's run differential uh, minuscule right now, plus five. But but this series, this rivalry, if you will, Dick, you know, Milwaukee's chances, certainly in, in that division to make a run into the postseason. They've got a, you know, a little few-game lead in, the, in, in their division. But uh, just your thoughts on the Brewers, Dick, and, you know, everything that is, you know, Minnesota and Milwaukee. Well, unfortunately, it's a midweek two-game series again, as it was in Minnesota earlier this year. Uh, they've got a, you know, baseball's done a nice job in recent years, uh, you know, looking outside the box and trying to come up with uh, some creative ways to make the game more interesting. And let's hope they can find a way to make uh, this Milwaukee Twin Series a three-game weekender on uh, for each city because that makes it a lot easier for the rivalry to flourish and uh, for fans to go from one region to another to watch their team play in a visiting ballpark. But uh, it's an interesting series because they're two first-place teams. Twins are going to be playing a lot of first-place teams here uh, with Texas uh, on the schedule starting on Thursday. Uh, But really, you look at the two central divisions, and uh, while we are, most of us anyway, hopeful that the Twins can win the division, get through the playoffs, and get to the World Series. They have the same hopes here in Milwaukee, and wouldn't that be nice? I, just from memory, I'm not sure we've had an all-Midwest World Series since the Twins-Cardinals Series in 1987. 
When you look at uh, the interesting thing with that ballpark, too, you know, it's changed its name. It's going to be hard for me not to ever call it uh, Miller Park again, an American Family Insurance Ballpark. But now they want to do some refurbishments already. Uh, talk about that. I guess it is almost 20 years old now, though. Yeah. Uh, well, what are you going to do? You can't put a roof on it. They've already got that. The only, you know, maybe there's more demand for suites than I'm aware of. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and that's frankly uh, what the, the twins and the Polad family have done on an almost annual basis at Target Field. They have updated and upgraded that ballpark uh, before you know, anything has accumulated to the point where, okay, now we need to find more money to have these massive improvements. The Twins, to their credit, I think have done it piecemeal and tried to change things from year to year, um, and that's come at some expense. Uh, and so I, I applaud the Twins and the Polad family for doing that. I don't know, frankly, what they would do here. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a nice place to do a ball game. Uh, I'll... I don't know what more they could do other than air, add the air conditioning, which would be a huge expense, uh, because I don't know, frankly, what they're going to do tomorrow. The heat that's in the upper Midwest right now, Minnesota, and I'm sure in the Red River Valley, too, the heat that's there today is going to arrive here in Milwaukee tomorrow for a day game, and I don't know whether it's going to be more beneficial for the players and the fans to have the roof open or closed. Oh, my heaven! They don't have air conditioning in that place? No, I was uh, telling Dick. I, oh, uh, I, was, I was at a game there Boy, probably in the mid two thousands, where they had like a thunderstorm morning coming in, so they closed the roof, and it was a hot, steamy night. And yeah, it uh, it can be a sauna in that place when the wow. roof is closed. The closest comp I think I can come up with is the very first year at the Metrodome in nineteen eighty two. <laughs> they did not have air conditioning, and it was absolutely miserable. And forget playing football in August, the Viking exhibition games. Uh, it was dangerous for the fans to just sit there in the sweltering heat and humidity and watch football or baseball that first year. So, uh, again, I'll be curious what they do here in Milwaukee with the retractable roof tomorrow. With baseball, as you mentioned, kind of thinking outside the box, and now everybody plays everybody at least one series. you think realignment is uh, maybe in the future at some point for Major League Baseball? Like, for example, maybe you know Minnesota and Milwaukee are in the same division someday again. Well, it could be, even though they're in separate leagues now. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was Milwaukee in the American League East and the Twins in the American League West when there were just two league divisions. Uh, so, yeah, I can see it. Uh, the one thing that they need to do if they have massive reorganization, they need to, in the postseason, keep an, a Midwest presence. We all know that the money gets, you know, uh, pulled to each coast, right? The biggest payrolls are always in the East and West Coast. They have got to, in my mind, keep that Midwest presence. Uh, what we don't want is what we had a few years ago. Uh, you know, the Mets and the Yankees met in the World Series, and Madison Avenue was just a glow with how great this was going to be, and the ratings were going to shoot through the roof. When, in fact, if you weren't in New York, if you were in Kansas City or Minnesota, for that matter, you didn't care who won the World Series, and you you turned the page to football. The ratings were terrible, so they got to find a way to at least you know keep a presence in the postseason uh, from the upper Midwest and Midwest. My last one for Dick before we let him uh, get ready to go with the uh, the Brewers and the Twins. Uh, speaking of weather and conditions, Dick, my guess is you've seen the the, the footage of Dodger Stadium and and the moat like conditions around that just how about that dick and i can you compare that to any other kind of scene you've seen around a ballpark well uh i know the angels game yesterday was postponed because of rain because of tropical storm hillary uh and the first thing i thought of was I, i'll bet they have not had a postponement since we were there in 2019 uh they had a lot of rain on a oh what was it uh Wednesday night, I believe, and we were supposed to leave town. It checked out of our hotel already. All the luggage was on a plane at LAX, but we had a postponement on a weeknight there, and we had to play again on Thursday afternoon, and that was one of the games that year where the Twins hit eight home runs in a game. Uh, and on the broadcast side, we had to patch it together. LaTroy Hawkins couldn't make the broadcast the next day, so I had like six, seven different people in the booth with me. But I, I'm guessing that that probably was the last time before yesterday that the Angels had a postponement in Anaheim. 
Yeah, it uh, doesn't rain out there very often, that is for sure. It's uh, Usually they're pretty blessed with that type of stuff. And, uh, and who would have thought that, you know, here the only postponement we've had was for the home opener because it was cold. Other than that, we have not had to postpone any games, but yet the Angels have. Uh, had one now in August, and they'll have to make that up, I think, tomorrow in a doubleheader. I'm really hoping you didn't jinx that now, Dick. I'm just saying. It's been a good I summer. I so, too. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been doing well. One last thing, because Brad and I were talking about this before we got on the air here. Uh, boy, the September schedule is quirky. Those really early afternoon, you know, kind of early evening games against Cincinnati and Cleveland coming up, and you, know, you got a tough series against Tampa Bay at home and obviously facing a, one of the hottest teams in baseball that no one's really talking about, the Rangers. September, if the Twins get this thing, obviously it's theirs to have. I mean, Cleveland kind of gave it to them, but they're going to have to earn it with the schedule coming up. Well, yeah, we uh, haven't, uh, you know, uh, we haven't seen the Rangers at all, and we have seven games with them. Uh, but for the most part, the schedule – uh, is easier, still have some games with Oakland coming up. Uh, we're done with uh, Kansas City and Detroit within the division. Two series left with Cleveland. Those will be very intense games, I can assure you. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But you know, we've been waiting, and I've been talking about this with you guys, I think, all year long. I really believe this team's best baseball is ahead of it. Here they are now with uh, 36 whatever games left with a six-game lead. You're right, it's theirs for the taking. But let's see how well the Twins can play against some of the better teams because if they make it to October, that's all we'll, that'll be waiting for them, you know, really good teams that have gotten into the playoffs. It should be a fun ride no matter what happens, that's for sure. Dick, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. All right, you got it, guys. You bet. Dick Bramer again, the television voice of the Minnesota Twins. The Twins wrap each and every Tuesday at this time, right around 1220 here on the Jack Michael Show. Jack's on the road. Derek Hansen, Brad Anderson with you. And, uh, Jack, how? I mean, as we go to break here, the road yeah. weary that you are, I mean, that uh, the, the schedule maker at the American Association, that uh, they really wanted you to see Iowa. That's all there is to it. I did, I'll tell you, that's not an easy one. By the way, construction's still going on in parts of the Midwest. I mean, yeah, that's an understatement. I, I did the. Uh, I, I rarely do the the numbers and the math, but I had a little time yesterday because it was getaway day in Kansas City, and this particular road trip is uh, twenty nine hours and forty two minutes on a bus, one thousand nine hundred and eighty miles driven, and four trips that are overnight trips, you know, when night becomes morning, which was, I'm like, now why did I do the math on that? Because it's just not fun to do that. But, yeah, we, but the thing is, I don't know how you guys feel about this. We got Tony V coming on to talk dueling Dakotas. But, uh, you know, you get in after driving all night and you see the sun come up, you know, the next day and you get into the hotel and they're already serving continental breakfast, but you get that guilty feeling like, well, we haven't really stayed here yet. Do I have I earned the continental breakfast yet, or yes. do I have to like? Yeah, okay. We're good. in That's radio. Good. We do, we don't <laughs> apologize for any of this stuff. There's 20 players went right from the bus, you know, groggy and just walked and stumbled <laughs> in, and I was uh, I had two hard boiled eggs and four waffles, and Derek's right in bed. I I was like. No, we've earned it. The bus ride alone, we've earned this. Absolutely. Yep. Out. No so, doubt. Yeah. Did you just say you had four waffles? Yeah, four. Well, they're the little. They're like okay. The little, it's the four. The four yeah. oh, I see, waffle I see. machine. You know, the little guys. Yep. Yep. I, I was going to say if you uh, if you had four of those waffles, my carbon take is you know <laughs> can't do it. I, I yeah. was going to get half out to you because those are. I mean, those aren't grandma's waffles. Those are the big waffle maker yeah. things. Yeah, they're they're like they've... four smiley face emojis on your phone. You know, the four little. Oh, okay, little I got you. Yeah, because they yeah, right. they have that option at some hotels where you can do the mini ones, where you just dump yeah. the mm-hmm. dump dump the batter Get in the, the big, big one, one and uh, call it good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Still not sold on eggs in a bag. You know, rift a bag. You know, eggs in a bag in a hotel. Not uh, the hard boiled you know, eggs. Well, they had those two, and I had two of those. But yeah, the other fun. ones, the. The one that that kind of looked like eggs scrambled, but not really. I I, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I gotcha. Go. I don't trust. I've told you my couple of my rules for life. I don't trust a lot of hotel uh, hotel uh, breakfast Brad, buffet eggs. Yeah, hard boiled or scrambled. Brad Derek's got some some great rules for life. One of them is like always have a pen. What is it, Brad? Uh, like, I is it- I told. I don't know why my daughter. At age almost twelve now, on her first day of middle school, but she says, "Yeah, she says you can never have too many pens." 
You can never have too many pens. And that is true. I really they, like that rule. They walk pen. away here, so <laughs> <You> really <laughs> do. <laughs> like staplers, mm-hmm. mysteriously uh, leave. <laughs> Tony Veneziano, the uh, from the world of I tell you, the duel in the Dakotas sprint cars. It's it's coming up. We've got that in. And I believe, Brad, Derek, you would, I think I caught wind. You might have a ticket or we two. We have tickets. Remember? We have. Uh-huh. We'll see if there might be a pair or two uh, we'll hand out here towards the end of the program. We'll do that coming up next on a uh, Tuesday edition. Jack Michaels show on 740 The Fan. Tuesday edition, the uh, Jack Michaels show. Brad Anderson, Derek Hansen in our fan studios. The Fifth largest daytime signal in the country. Jack Michaels coming to you uh, from actually Portage, Indiana, just outside of Gary, Indiana, not far from downtown Chicago, Illinois. Tony V, Tony Veneziano. Tony, we haven't chatted. It seems like, I know we've chatted recently, but it seems like a while. But I know one thing, when Tony comes on the show, that usually means there's a huge event and something that you need to take part in and that is the case, Duel in the Dakota, and I can't believe we are already talking about Duel in Dakota, and, and we're, we're getting late into August. Tony, my goodness, the schedule, the time, it flies, but big opportunity this weekend. How you doing, Tony? Hey, Jack, doing great. Man, you're up in Portage. I'm actually going to be driving through there in about two hours. I'm driving to my parents. They're up in Highland. Are you at a Gary Railcats game by chance? Well, yeah, we uh, we start a uh, the one of three a three game series against Gary, so I'll be at the uh, the Steel Yard tonight, my friend. I can't. That's yeah, great. that's a beautiful place. I got I got to play there when I was in high school, actually, about twenty five years ago. We used to joke uh, over the years that, that Gary this used to be a force field, tough to get a ball out, you know, in downtown there in Gary, and now they've modified the uh, the right field wall a bit and brought it in. So we'll see if uh, balls jump out tonight. But yeah, it's a uh, Gary's a good club, uh, you know. They're 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 not doing well from a standing standpoint uh, this year, but we'll see what uh, what's fun. I always love coming to to Gary, and we stay as you said, uh, you know, where Portage is, kind of a neat little area, about twenty minutes or fifteen minutes from the the ballpark. What a small world! That's uh, that's fantastic, Tone. Yeah, yeah. I'll be passing through there, and then I'll be heading to North Dakota tomorrow. So got the best well, of all worlds. Tony, you don't drive a sprint car on your travels, right? I mean, you're not you're not zipping through interstates and construction. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wish I was. Yeah, I'll be getting caught in the construction. But, yeah, definitely looking forward to coming up to North Dakota this week. I mean, it is hard to believe it's already almost football season. I mean, I guess high school football season started, so it is football season. And it means it's time to come to North Dakota to get a couple races in. And, you know, the guys always look forward to racing up there. It's been a great season and it looks to continue this weekend. Tony, it's always such a busy stretch. You have the Knoxville Nationals, which is uh, such a big event in the uh, in the sprint cars, and then uh, last uh, weekend in Jackson, and and uh, you know you had, you had a couple of winners. You know, Donnie Schatz got a win one night in Knoxville. James McFadden won a couple in Jack in uh, in Jackson, Minnesota as well. But this uh, this is a busy stretch and a real key stretch for these guys. It is because the points are getting tight, and those top three guys right now. Unfortunately, David Gravel had some bad luck last week. He went into the Jack Nationals about 14 points out of the lead, and unfortunately now he's 60 points out. He fell back to third, and Carson Macedo moved into second 50 points behind Brad Sweet. So uh, a key stretch for the points for sure. And, you know, all it takes is one bad night. David Gravel had a couple of them, unfortunately, up there in Minnesota, had a flat tire and some trouble the other night and lost points. So it's anybody's game still. You know, about 20 races left in the season. To have three guys within 60 points, it shipped that up for a great end of the season. Tony, obviously, uh, you know, our Superman, our, our our number one guy is Donnie Schatz, and Donnie continues. Brad just mentioned about Donnie's had some had success, and certainly he's won a lot of big races and, and continues. He and his team do it so well. Uh, but but there's always that little extra incentive and, and special seasoning when that, that World of Outlaws at the Red River Valley Speedway. Donnie is no stranger to the checkered flag. Talk about what this particular, uh, this season's uh, duel in the Dakotas, the, the sprint cars for guys like Donnie Schatz uh, and, and what it means uh, to him and for the fans to come out. That means a lot to him, and I think this year honestly means even more because along with the World of Outlaws, the IMCA Race Saver Sprints are going to be racing. It's a division that uses a little smaller of an engine, and they're going to be running the Danny Schatz Memorial in honor of Donnie's dad, who obviously passed away last year. So I think it's going to mean a lot to him, you know, having his dad's name as part of the event. His two nieces will be racing. 
in that event with the IMCA Race Saver Series. So I think Donnie will be you know pumped up, and he, he always runs good when he's at Red River Valley Speedway. And just having a little extra incentive with a lot of family members there, I think, is going to help him as well. You know, when you, they make this stop here, you know, River Cities and Grand Forks is interesting. It's a little smaller track and uh, maybe not as much as uh, room to maneuver. And then I think um, it seems like it seems like they, they get a pretty good response of what they get in uh, in West Fargo, too. They do. I mean, every, in North Dakota, there's great sprint car fans. I mean, all the upper Midwest, you know, go to a lot of tracks throughout the year, but they, it's rabid fans. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, having a guy like Donnie, the hometown hero who, who has been good for so long. And, you know, people can say, hey, he's from North Dakota. I think that adds to it. But, yeah, a lot of knowledgeable fans and, and just with a great weather forecast this week, I mean, ticket sales have been very brisk, which is always a good thing. Everybody seems excited. And, you know, it's just a great time of the year to be outside. You know, not a whole lot of time left this year to be outside, unfortunately, with fall getting here. So it'll be a great weekend to, to be outside, watch some great racing, and, and just see all a lot of new guys this year. You know, like you mentioned before, James McFadden last week at Jackson, he had a great weekend winning two out of three. And he, he's pretty unique that when he wins a race, he takes his racing shoe off, and he's from Australia, and they have a thing down there called a shoey. And he actually either puts energy drink or beer in the shoe and drinks it right in victory lane, which people seem to get a kick out of that. I I don't think I'd be brave enough to drink something out of my dirty shoe, but he, he does it when he wins, and he's done it six times already this year. So he's he's one of the hottest guys on the tour right now, so he should be a threat as well this weekend. Yeah, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, Tony, in, in the remaining uh, the minutes we have here as we promote this, and I know it's so popular, for those that have never been uh, to, to, an, uh, to an event like this, whether it be at, you know, at River Valley Speedway or, as you guys mentioned, River Cities or what have you, you know, that, that when you go out and people think, like, it's all, oh, is it just one race and they, they, they have, like, ten laps and that's it? Take it it's certainly not that. There are, there are other heats going on and dashes going on and that lead to main events. You know, is that a 30-lap, you know, main event? Talk about what people see when they come out to uh, an event like a Duel in Dakotas and, and the Speedway. So we'll see a whole lot of racing kind of compacted into a short amount of time. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, it's sprint car races, so the races are a little bit shorter, but the guys will come out and, and they'll practice first. They call it hot laps, and they get literally a handful of laps, like three, four, five laps to shake down the car, get a feel for it. Then they come out for time trials, which is one car against the clock, and depending on what their time is, that's where they line up in the heat race. And then the heat races are eight laps in distance, and they're usually about eight to ten cars in the heat. And then after that, there's a dash for the – top two finishers in each heat race and that'll set the first few rows of the main event and then there'll be a last chance race which will get four more guys a chance to make it into the main event and then like you said 30 laps the main event final race of the night 24 cars will start it pays ten thousand dollars to win and and that's what everybody's chasing there at the end of the night but i mean every every time they're on the track's important i mean you got to move forward and and finishing positions determine where you start later in the night so it's definitely important to pass cars throughout the night and finish at the front and then uh, to finish on that, Tony, you know, if people are familiar with Indy cars or NASCARs where you can be, you know, two wide or perhaps sometimes three wide, uh, the sprint cars, uh, and they get around that turn, they get on that straightaway, you know, they're skidding and sliding that back as, as they hit the stretch and so on and so forth. Uh, two wide, can it get three wide on tracks like this? And what are, what are the pitfalls and dangers and thrills of, 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 of sprint car in, in those uh, instances? They can certainly get three wide. I mean, they have Red River Valley Speedway is a wide track, a lot of room to race out there. And a lot of times guys will, will make some moves, you know, coming off the turns, they'll do what's called a slide job where they kind of they let the car just slide up the track in front of the car in front of them. And, and sometimes that other car will have to get on the brakes a little bit so they don't make contact. Because that's one thing with a sprint car. They're open-wheel cars, so there's no fenders. So you gotta got to be careful. You don't want to rub wheels or that can lead to – so something not good. So it leads to a little more respect among the drivers. You kind of have to know your surroundings. And, and unlike NASCAR or IndyCar, these guys don't have a spotter or somebody on the radio talking. You know, talking to them. They and they don't have mirrors in the cars. That's probably the most important thing. So a lot of it is by instinct, and you hear cars around you. You kind of sense and feel them. So it, it takes a lot of finesse out there. So you definitely, you have to, you have to be. I, I would say the word is kind of cautiously aggressive because you always have to be aggressive. But you got it. There's a fine line that you kind of you can't cross because the uh, dire things can happen in, in a sprint car when when you make contact. You got to 
got to be respectful of the others out there. But you still have to drive, you know, pretty hard to, to get to the front. So it takes a unique driver, and, and it takes a lot of years to kind of get that feel. A lot of the younger guys, it takes them three, four, five years to kind of to get used to doing that night in and night out because you go to a different track every night. So, you know, like you talk about NASCAR and IndyCar, those guys, they go to a track and they get a couple hours of practice and they have a big, long race. So they get plenty of laps out there, the outlaw guys. They're they're in and out of a track pretty quick. It definitely takes numerous times of going to a track to to get the feel for it, and that's why you see a lot of the veteran guys like you know like Donnie Schatz, David Gravel, Brad Sweet be at the front of the field because those guys you know they've learned it over the years and they have that kind of seat of the pants feel and that finesse. Boy, there it is right there, and it's happening Saturday, Red River Valley Speedway, and much like Tony when he drives through the Chicago area here in a couple of hours. Same thing, bumper to bumper, few lanes. You got to be uh, familiar with, uh, you know, Lakeshore, Dan Ryan, you know, whatever, whatever it is that he's on. It's all good. Tony, hey man, it's great hearing your voice. Uh, looking forward. To, I know the fans are as well for this weekend. Uh, safe, uh, safe travels to you, and safe uh, existence for those drivers coming up. We're going to be rooting them on, and, and certainly Donnie and the whole crew. So good stuff, Tony. Have a great Tuesday, and. I'll just wave you from the steel yard here in a few hours. There you go. I'll wave as well. Well, thank you, guys. Always fun talking <laughs> to y'all. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Tony V, as we call it, Veneziano, joining us today on the Jack Michaels Show. And, Brad, I'll tell you, there are bucket lists. I don't know if I, at 6'5", and now more than 195 pounds, Brad, I don't know. I don't know what's tighter, the, the ballpark seats in Milwaukee yeah. for that Twins-Brewers game, very narrow seats, by the way, you've been there. I have. Or, yeah. or sitting in those sprint cars, Brad, they, they're they tight. Yeah, they're, they're tight, and especially you get, in the, you get in those corners trying to make through those turns, and yeah, and you can see three or four abreast coming through at Red River Valley, and a little bit tighter up in Grand Forks, but uh, still a, uh, a fun event, and like, the weather's going to cooperate as well. Uh, should be a good weekend for that. In fact, we've got a couple of tickets, uh, or a couple pairs of tickets, actually, we can give away here. I'll do callers, we'll do callers 6 and 7 as we uh, put the wraps on the show. 237-3767 or 1-888-458-6926. We'll see if we can get, uh, get some folks out there on uh, Saturday night to uh, the Red River Valley Speedway. Yeah, my guess those phone lines are lighting up. Why is 6 in front of 7? Because 7, oh, okay, it's an old dad joke right there. Callers... Six and seven, good stuff. Hey, Brad, uh, large one tonight uh, for the Hawks, big yep. one for the Twins, division leaders, but big one tonight, the big Sycamore, Tyler Grower going tonight uh, for the Red Hawks. So I encourage folks to tune in, 625 the pregame, 645 the first pitch. Then we got Twins uh, tomorrow, well, kind of. we got a half a show tomorrow yep. uh, on the Red Hawks and then game two. So looking forward to that. Thanks to Dick. Thanks to Tony joining us today at and congratulations already to a couple of callers that are going to be uh, getting ahead of the world of outlaws this weekend. So we will do it again coming up tomorrow. Common Man is coming up next right here on 740 The Fan KNFL.